Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Well, today we are into part two of our series called Foundation. And uh, what is it that we build our lives upon? I uh, really encourage you, um, if you uh, ever miss a part, uh, all these parts stand alone, but it's, it's good to have the context. So you can always go back either through the online or on the church app and, uh, and just revisit uh, what we're learning. So obviously this is all tied into uh, our 30 days in the Word commencing tomorrow because we've got to have a sure foundation. I'm going to jump straight in today at 2 Peter 1 and 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now let me say, I could stop right there. We could just meditate on those verses and go home and we would be richer as we just ponder what Peter is saying here. It is so rich and so deep. And Peter starts these verses by saying that God has given us everything we need. Say everything. He's given us everything we need. And I love the fact that he starts out by saying life for life and godliness. You know, some of us, we compartmentalize our lives. So we say, well, here's, here's all the different boxes in my life that represent my various responsibilities, the different relationships that I have, my work life, my social life, my recreational life. And then there's my God life. And God's only interested in my God life. I love the fact that Peter says God's given us everything we need for life and godliness and he doesn't make any kind of separation and it's important for us to understand that God is interested in every aspect of your life and then he goes on to say that he's given us everything we need by his divine power and the thing is it's actually a given it's not something that we need to seek after it's not something that we need to buy books about or go to conferences about. It's not even something apparently that we have to uh, spend time asking God for or praying about. It's actually a given. You have everything you need for life and godliness according to God's power. So it's done. You have everything you need. I have everything. I we have everything we need. So what then is the end result of having everything we need? Peter tells us that you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. What amazing outcomes. Number one, that we may participate in the divine nature. Not that we're all becoming demigods. What it means is that there is something of God increasingly that is evident in my life that more and more I am reflecting the nature and the character of God, that more and more the life of Jesus is seen uh, lived out through me. 
So that's number one, participating in the divine nature. Number two, escaping the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now that's another incredible outcome. And it's an outworking of what God is doing in you that is first of all transforming your character, reflecting more of Jesus. And because of that, there is a heart transformation. Your heart changes, your priorities change, the things that motivate you change and you're no longer lured in to the world's way of thinking, which is a corrupt way of thinking. Instead, we've got our eyes fixed on Jesus. Can I hear an amen this morning? So we've got the promise, you've got everything you need for life and godliness. You've got the outcomes, escaping the corruption of the world caused by evil desires and participating in God's divine nature, His character evident in us. So what's the key that links the promise to the outcome? What's the key that unlocks the outcome in our lives? The promise, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, the outcome that you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Here's the key. Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our, what? Our knowledge. Our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Friends, knowledge is the key. It is the key from the promise become, becoming something that is outworked in and through our lives. If we don't know the promises of God, then we can never ever live in expectation of the outcomes. Can I hear an amen? amen. Friends, we can never stop learning. There's a saying that says, ignorance is bliss. Can I say there's never been anything said that is more untrue than ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is the breeding ground for fear and paranoia and misinformation and misunderstanding. Proverbs 1 and 7 says this, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The Amplified says, The reverent fear of the Lord, that is worshipping Him and regarding Him as truly awesome, is the beginning and the preeminent part of knowledge, its starting point and its essence. But arrogant fools despise skillful and godly wisdom and instruction and self-discipline. Now, if we were to rewind the history of the nation of Israel... God gave the nation of Israel His law, His instruction, etched into tablets of stone. If you're familiar with the story, Moses comes down from the mountain and presents to the people the Ten Commandments. In fact, they had to do it twice. But etched into those tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, the law, Moses explains this is God's standard. This is God's instruction for your life. God wanted His people to know His absolute truth. He knew they needed an absolute foundation to live by. And then as you fast forward the story, they wandered for decades in the wilderness and finally they're ready to cross the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, the promised land. And just before they did that, Moses gives a revision. He says, before we do this, let's remember what God said to us. 
These are his final instructions, but also his first instructions that will underscore and, and be our safeguard, be our foundation as we settle in the promised land. And that second instruction is found in the book of Deuteronomy. If you're familiar with your Bible, there is a repetition of the law, which is in fact what Deuteronomy means. And the law, the Ten Commandments that we read in Exodus are repeated in the book of Deuteronomy. So Moses, in effect, is reminding them of all that God had taught them. Why did he do that? Well, let's read from Deuteronomy 6 and 1. These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are, about to, uh, that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is powerful instruction. And friends, it is timeless instruction. It applies just as much to us today. Are we talking about the things of God? Are we impressing upon our children the truths of God? I love what Sophie said in that interview to see her mom as she wakes up every morning just digging into the Word of God. That impression on a child as they grow and develop uh, is invaluable. It is a treasure. It is truth. And as parents, if I can challenge your parents this morning, we've got to be talking about the things of God. We've got to be encouraging our children in the truths of God. Because the reality for Israel, when they were about to cross the Jordan and occupy uh, the promised land, Canaan, it wasn't empty. It wasn't like walking into a fresh Eden and there was nobody about and it was just beautiful and uh, they had everything they need. Yes, they did, but it was also occupied. And it was occupied by foreign nations. It was occupied by foreign cultures. There was so much idolatrous worship that was pre-existing in the promised land. Uh, it was a corrupt culture. And there was, there was so much that they would have to contend with. God knew that. And so as they walk into this morally compromised and spiritually compromised land to settle in that land, this land full of idol worship, great deal of immorality. Here is Israel entering the promised land and in doing so, they were going to be exposed to that stuff. They were going to be settling amidst uh, the cultures of these foreign nations and godless nations. And so God gives them this final instruction through Moses. And here it is, instruct your children in the Word of God so that they will know the truth. Can I hear an amen this morning? Now, sadly, as you follow the story through, they kind of let it slide to the point where Israel finally finds themselves captive to a foreign nation. 
But it's interesting as you read through the New Testament in the Gospels, you have Jesus saying to people, do you not know? Have you not heard? Things like that. In fact, Jesus was often rebuking uh, those who did know, saying, guys, there's just no application here. You, you, You know one thing, but you do another thing. And he's often rebuking them for their hypocrisy. Then much of the New Testament letters written by the apostles reinforce this. Have you not heard? Do you not know? Don't be ignorant about uh, things like be ready to defend your faith. So right throughout the Bible, God's repeated command to his people is this. Learn, grow, study, equip your mind with my words so that you can defend in any environment and you can thrive in any environment but we also need to know that God's word is absolutely critical for our faith to grow Romans 10 and 17 faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God now he doesn't say reading because that wasn't how they received the word at the time that he wrote this It was by hearing. Friends, the more you get to know God, the greater your faith will be. And Romans clearly teaches us that understanding the Word of God, reading the Word of God is one way that your faith grows. But here's the really important point. You don't read the Bible to get to know the Bible. Some people are a bit confused about this and they make it some kind of Uh, exercise, you know, some kind of scholastic exercise. You don't read the Bible to get to know the Bible. If you read the Bible simply to get to know the Bible, it will eventually bore you. It might be interesting. You might have an interest in history. Maybe there is some great teaching in there. There's some, you know, some great principles to live by. But the reality is we read the Bible to get to know Jesus. The Bible points to Jesus and it's so important in fact Jesus once criticized the Jews for studying the Bible John 5 and 39 you diligently study the scriptures because you think but that by them you possess eternal life these are the scriptures that testify about me yet you refuse to come to me to have life And what he's saying is, hey, guys, you got it wrong. You're studying the Scriptures to get to know the Scriptures and you're missing the whole point. The purpose of Scripture is to reveal me, to get to know me. If I had a Toyota car and bought a new... Oh, all the Toyota people are... Yeah, right. Okay, we shouldn't go there. In the glove box, when you buy the new car, you'll find a manual. The reason some people sit down and devour the manual is not to get to know the manual. The reason people devour a manual, blokes in particular, is to what? Get to know the car. That's what the manual is for. Now, if I was a bit fanatical about the manual, I could take the manual to bed every night and leave it on my bedside table and read it every night before I went to sleep. I could even underline the bits that I like. 
I could memorize sections of the manual. That'd be really helpful. I could even go to the local Toyota Fellowship and we all sit around talking about how cool the manual is. There are bits of the manual that I could take and actually put to song and sing about the manual. I call it Toyota in song. If I was really, really fanatical, I could learn Japanese so that I could study the manual in the original language and that would really, really impress everybody. But the day would come when having read it, having underlined it, having sung it, having translated it, the day would come when I would say, I'm a little bit bored with the manual. Why? Because the manual serves only one purpose to introduce me to the car. I read the manual in order to understand the car. And friends, the purpose of Scripture is that through the written word, we get to know the living word who is Jesus. Amen. Because our trust is in the living word. Our trust is in Jesus himself. And the Bible detached from Jesus is about as much use as a car manual detached from the car. It might be interesting information, but it's not going to get you anywhere. So I want to give you as a take home, very, very quickly, six benefits of knowing God's word. Number one, knowledge gives substance to faith. Because if we don't understand God's word, what do we then rely upon to have a revelation of God's truth? And sadly, for a lot of Christians in this day and age, they just rely on their feelings and their emotions, which we pointed out last week are very, very unreliable at best. If we don't rely upon our emotions, then we'll read all kinds of other books and the opinions of other people, and maybe there's some useful thoughts there, but it's not a foundation. Maybe we just rely upon our religious traditions and the way that we've been raised, and so we just follow patterns for living. Or maybe worse still, and worst of all, is that we spend endless hours scrolling through social media feeds, listening to some wacky stuff, which is very, very dangerous. What's the result of all of that? The result is actually there's no substance to our faith. Number two, knowledge helps us stand in difficult times. We actually talked about this a lot last week, that when the bottom falls out of life, a knowledge of God's word gives us unshakable principles of hope, assurance, direction, and peace. And I love that Rebecca brought that out in her journal entry from James. It's not how I feel, it's what I know that sustains us in the most difficult of times. Number three, knowledge enables us to handle the Bible accurately. You know, and it's so helpful that we understand the general themes of the Bible, not just our favorite verses that we, you know, we all have our favorite verses, but what's the context of that? Because if we understand the context, it's going to become even richer than just a bumper sticker. It gives us confidence. It makes the Bible come alive and it makes the Bible make so much more sense. Which leads to number four. Knowledge equips us to discern and to confront error. 
and you can't be intimidated. Well, this church is almost 19 years old. The number of wacky ideas that people who have come and gone have brought to me, theological ideas that actually sound really, really good on the surface, but I actually just don't see them anywhere in God's Word. If I didn't know God's Word, I wouldn't have that measure to measure them against to know that it's error. And it's the same for each one of us. We live in an information age, but we also that means we live in a misinformation age. And so much so in the church, and there's so much false doctrine, there's so much that sounds great, but it's just not reflected in Scripture. So we've got to know where we stand theologically. We've got to know where we stand scripturally so that nobody can drag us down a dark path of error that might tickle our ears but have no substance of truth. But when you know God's Word, when you know the Scriptures, when you hear wrong information, we're able to simply reject it without the confusion that comes if you don't have that foundation. Number five, it makes us confident in our daily walk. And one of the major reasons people stumble along in their faith is they actually lack a commitment to reading God's Word every day. Friends, God's Word is an anchor. God's Word is a foundation. It gives us stability. It gives us confidence. It gives us consistency in our faith walk because we're people of God's Word. And then number six, a good foundation of spiritual truth filters out fear and superstition. God's Word gives us the discernment we need to reject the voices of fear and wrong thinking that often controls us. And even, you know, it can really dull our faith. And we've got so many naysayers in the world today who say the world is full of darkness and evil. I've got to tell you, God's still on the throne and His creation is still wonderful, beautiful, needs to be celebrated. And we've just got to find ourselves soaking in the presence of God and knowing that, God, you are good. And I'll just re-quote one of my favorite, favorite quotes for us. These may not be the best of times, they may not be the worst of times, but they're the only times we're God and God's still on the throne. Two prophecies that we read in the Old Testament that are a little bit sobering and very important to us right now. First of all, from Hosea 4. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There's no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land mourns and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea are dying. But let no man bring a charge. Let no man accuse another. For your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. You stumble day and night and the prophets stumble with you. So I will destroy uh, your mother. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Did you get that? My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest because you've ignored the law of your God. So there's a prophetic judgment against the priests of Israel, but it applies just as much to us today, friends. Amos 8 and 11, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. 
Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. And friends, can I say, without saying, wanting to sound alarmist this morning, I think we're living in those times. As I said last time, we have never had the Word of God so freely and readily accessible as we do today. And yet I, I think we have never had a more biblically illiterate generation as we do today. And I'm saying in the church. And so we've got to be a people of the Word. We've got to get back to the Word. And as the team comes, I just want to read a, a portion of a letter that Paul writes to Timothy, who is a young pastor He's been given the responsibility of a church uh, that, uh, that Paul established in a place called Ephesus. And he says, writing to this young pastor, the Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and to follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry in order to abstain from certain foods which God created to receive with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is what? Good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. And Paul is writing to this young pastor. He is warning him against the false teachers that are luring people away from the truth. Why do people fall away from the truth? Because they're deceived into believing false doctrine. And specifically, Paul is actually referencing um, a, a group at the time called the Gnostics. And, and their teaching uh, was that all matter, anything physical is evil. That what was physically pleasing to humans is spiritually displeasing to God. So they forbid people to eat certain types of food. They even forbid people to, uh, to marry. Now, it's really important to note how firm Paul was in his instruction. He just instantly dismissed that teaching as total error. There was no ambiguity about it. And he's just saying to Timothy, it is wrong. Don't allow that teaching to go on in the church. He was so firm because Paul himself knew that it was false doctrine. Verse 4, he says, For everything God created is good. And nothing is to be, to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. And in the face of this heresy, Paul is just very calm, very measured because he knew scripture. And he goes on to give, to give really wise counsel. In fact, to everybody who is a minister of the gospel, if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Another translation says, constantly nourished on the words of faith and the sound doctrine which you have been following. Can I say, 
just in those few verses, there is a huge part of my job description. In those few words, I discover one of my major responsibilities. One of the things that I need to be doing as your pastor is nourishing myself on the Word of God. And I've got to be doing it consistently. I've got to be doing it faithfully. And in fact, the busier I get, the more I need to do it. Because as this church grows, so do the pressures of leading people. So do the problems of leading people. Not that you guys are problematic. I'll give myself a crunchy. The demands on my time grow, but I can't allow that. I can't allow the tyranny of the urgent to stop me from just digging into the wisdom that I need to lead God's people. Uh, uh, the, the busier I get, the more I've got to be in the Word. And let me tell you, the more I do it, the more I love it. And the more I understand the Word of God, the more I have a clearer sense of His direction for the church. So pray for me. Pray against those distractions that you think, well, that's the last time I have. And it seems so very self-indulgent to find a quiet place and open God's Word and just meditate. You know, surely there's more important things you need to be doing. No, actually, there's not. Pray for me. Pray for Pastor Dan. Pray for Pastor Rose. Pray for Pastor Andrew leading our youth. Pray for us. What about you? Where are you in the learning process? Are you discovering the absolute treasure that is God's Word? Or is it still a little bit dull and a little bit seemingly irrelevant? You can never stop growing, never stop learning, never stop developing our faith. We've got to equip ourselves in an age that has forgotten what truth is. We've got to equip ourselves with the absolute truth, the Word of God. And we, in doing so, you will discover that the Bible is anything other than boring. Because, friends, the truth of God's Word, as we said last week, it is living. It is active. 1 Peter 3 and 15 says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Then he says, great challenge, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And again, every single one of us have got people in our lives who we think, I'd just love to share God with them, but I don't know where to start. You start by nourishing yourself on the Word of God so that you've actually got truth and treasure to share with somebody else. As well as, this is what God has done for me. My life is transformed because of God's truth. Friends, let us be, as God tells us, we are a holy nation. I pray that we are a nation who is educated, a nation who is prepared to give an educated answer to all who would ask. And let us live in the day and age in which God has purposed us to live. You're born to such a time and place as this. Let us live with confidence. Confidence in faith, confidence in the, the faith we have in our awesome God. Reaching out to our world because we know that Jesus loves the world and Jesus is the answer for the suffering that is so evident in our world and the confusion that's going on in our world. Because we ourselves are anchored in the knowledge of the Word of God.
So let me finish where we started, 2 Peter 1 and 3. His divine power has given us what? Everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He's given us His great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, hallelujah, and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Bring it on, God. Bring it on. That God would develop within us a character, a righteousness, a holiness, the the ability to live well for Him that He would be our constant, that His Word would be a moral compass. His Word would give us an understanding of absolute truth, that His Word would be the true foundation that you and I need every moment of every day. Can I hear an amen? Stand with me this morning, Father, as we stand. We stand saying, God, forgive us, number one, for neglecting Your Word. Forgive us, God, for allowing every other priority, every other responsibility crowd out that fundamental importance of being nourished on Your Word, of developing a sure foundation for life, for living, for our families, for our kids, for our communities. And God, right now in this moment, we recognise that we have a devourer who wants to rob the seed of God's Word from us. Well, we would just want to spit in his face this morning and say, you know what? 2023 is going to be different. I'm going to grow in the Word of God, grow my foundation so that I will be a blessing to my family, a blessing to God's kingdom, and that I will be a danger to the enemy who wants to rob us of truth. So Father, I pray that we would be a holy nation, knowing that we are a people belonging to God, that our foundation is Your Word. Give us a hunger and a passion for Your Word, I pray. May we recognise it to be the treasure that it is, the anchor that we need, the foundation that we need. Grow that passion within us, I pray, for our benefit and for Your glory in Jesus' wonderful Name. And God's people said... Amen and amen.